0: We are heading quickly into our 41st anniversary celebration. And as we do, we are considering this great chapter on faith. Our theme this year is believe to see, which is another way of saying we need to have faith. We're believing to see what cannot be seen. And that requires faith. What are we believing to see? Well, according to our theme verse, we could say we're believing to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So far in this chapter, we've seen how Abel worshipped by faith and how Enoch walked by faith. Remember that Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And spiritually speaking, that's how you and I should live our life. We need to walk with God by faith to the point that we no longer exist because God has taken over our life. Hebrews 11.5 tells us that the reason God took Enoch home to heaven was because he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 6 then lets us know Enoch pleased God by being a man of faith because without faith it is impossible to please him. And that's where I want to pick up for tonight is in verse 6. Would you look with me, please, as we read Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now, I think all of us would say tonight, our desire is to please God. Almost all of us. That would be our desire. You've counted your faithfulness here tonight as an important way of expressing your desire to please the Lord. That's why you're back. You believe we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so in order to please God, we're going to try to obey that command. But based upon verse 6, I am forced to ask the question, what is it that we are doing by faith tonight? How is this service, or any of our services for that matter, pleasing to God? Because without faith it's impossible to please Him. Are we doing anything that requires faith? And what are we doing individually when we're not gathered together that requires faith? And I think we can become so mechanical in our approach to God in the things we do in our Christian life, we go about life thinking that we are pleasing God. But in reality, we're not pleasing God because we're no longer doing anything that requires faith. If we're going to answer the question, are we doing anything which requires faith, then let's first study verse 6, and then we'll come back and ask that question again. So what is faith? Well, we know what verse 1 says. Now, faith is the substance substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We've covered this verse in an earlier message this year. We know what verse 1 says. Let's talk about what it means to have faith. Faith is going to mean different things to different people. For example, we could have a panel made up of Christians, Muslims, Mormons, Hindus, on and on. And we're going to get different ideas of what faith is and what it means to have faith. Everybody's going to have their own opinion. Even within Christianity, there are different understandings of what it means to have faith. And even within our stripe of churches, there are different interpretations of what it means to have faith. Sometimes faith is presented as being able to acknowledge that you agree with certain statements. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe you are a sinner? Yes. Do you believe you need to be saved? Yes. Do you believe Christ came to save you? Yes. Congratulations, you're a person of faith. I'm not doubting a person's salvation in any way, but what I'm saying is, that is not the kind of faith that Hebrews 11:6 is talking about. Faith is not merely a person being able to acknowledge and agree with a certain system of beliefs. For example, faith isn't even manifested as we put together a list of what we call our statements of faith. And we say this is what we believe. This is what binds us together. This is our understanding of the Word of God. This is what we unify around as a church. But saying we believe these things does not necessarily mean we have faith. Our mental assent, our verbal agreement to some set of beliefs is not how our faith is manifested. And our faith is not exercised because we say we believe in these particular bullet statements. Is everybody with me tonight? Man, I know some of you got drug here and you really don't want to be here, but just pretend. Just pretend. The weather outside is frightful, but the preaching is so delightful. And since you got no place to go, some think of faith as being whatever they believe is true. Well, I believe in this, and because I believe in this, it makes it true. Now, what sense does that make? Faith is not whatever we want it to be so long as we are sincere about what we say we believe. Have you ever thought you were going in the right direction and come to find out you weren't? Now, I pride myself on my sense of direction. I have been on backpacking trips where trail markers have disappeared, and I assumed, looking at my map and my compass, that... I've unfortunately been in the car before and made a wrong turn and not known it. When I left Buffalo, Wyoming, this last preacher's conference in the end of September, I'm leaving Buffalo and I get in the car and I know I've got to be on I-90 East. For whatever reason, I turn on I-25 South. And I call agent. I'm like, I'm, I'm in route. I'll be there around 5:30. I'll be there in time for supper. And listen, this is rare that I would do this. And I'm just, I'm just, listen, I'm just cruising along. There's mountains to the right. That's where they should be. I'm like, well, that makes sense. There's mountains over here. I'm, I'm heading in the right direction. But if you've ever left out of Buffalo, you know that I-90 East and I-25 South for a short period, they almost parallel each other. And so I'm like, yeah, there's, there's the Bighorns. I'm driving along and I'm zoned out, man. I'm looking way off in the distance. I'm like living the dream. I love driving and I'm just sitting there kind of thinking about what all was preached to me that day and and I'm just going down the road. I mean, I'm good. I'm enjoying the solitude. I'm not paying attention to anything in the world. For whatever reason, I had to lean over to something that was laying in the passenger seat. I can't remember what it was and I, I lean over to get it and my eye looks up and it catches just a quick glance of the interstate sign as I'm flying by and I go... Did that say 25? I'm supposed to be on 90. I right, know. Well, it's Wyoming. So I'm like, well, I don't know when the next exit is going to be. I don't know when the next sign's going to be. And so I pull out my phone and I'm like, all right, let me check the GPS. And there's the little blue dot going down 25 south towards Casper. I did this for 50 miles before. I mean, I was just out of it. And at this point, I'm thinking, because I'm in this Jeep that's getting like 15 miles a gallon, how much money did I just waste? Because it's like a 100-mile mistake. And so I call Adrian. I'm like, well, I'm going to be late. I'm going to miss supper. Um, (laughs) I mean, it was bad. And listen, I believed when I left Buffalo I was heading in the right direction. No matter how much I believed it, it didn't make it true. So faith is not whatever you think is true. Your belief in something is not what makes it true. But this is how many of you Christians and Christianity they feel Christianity is only true because we are the ones who are weak-minded enough to believe it and it is our belief which sustains it. Because we believe it, we make it true. Quick side note to those who would say such things I would ask, how do you explain away Jesus and His resurrection? How do you explain away His church on this earth for the last 2,000 years? How do you explain away the Word of God? Just think about it. If Jesus was just an historical figure who was a fraud, how do you explain an empty tomb and all that followed after His death? How do you explain away nearly 2,000 years of there being churches all across this world? Many times during severe persecution. I mean, if this was just a man who generated all this from a small following, why is it still here? How do you explain away the 23 books in the New Testament which follow the four Gospels? Why did they keep writing about this? How is the Bible the best seller of all time in history? If all this came about because 120 people lied about seeing the resurrected Lord, or because 500 people lied about seeing Jesus ascend into heaven and all of this is a false narrative, then how do you explain away all that we see today? Right? I mean, the burden of proof isn't on us to explain why Christianity is true. The burden of proof is on them to explain why it isn't. Now, what happened was many Christians inadvertently... Let me get back on track. They inadvertently spread the idea that Christianity is only a result of our believing it. Some of you will remember when this saying was very popular. God said it. I believe it, and that settles it. Well, no wonder the world was led to conclude that our faith is around because we believe it. The idea we put out there was that what makes God in the Bible true is that we believe it. What is more accurate to say is God said it, that settles it. Our belief in Him and in His Word has no bearing on whether or not it's true and whether or not it exists. You see, with some, the idea is that what makes something true, it's all based upon our belief in it. When in reality, catch this now, it is truth which caused us to believe. Everybody catch that? A lot of people are saying that it's truth because we believe it, but no, 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 the, the Christian says, no, I believe it because it's truth. Amen. The truth has been there the whole time. Even if we choose not to believe it, or chose not to believe it, the truth is still there. It wouldn't change the fact that there is truth. Yeah. Acts 4.4 4 says, howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of them was about 5,000. You see, the truth was there in the word. They heard it, and then they believed. It wasn't that they believed and all of a sudden the Word became true. And of course, we know Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Therefore, it is the truth revealed to us, which already existed, that causes us to believe. Now, our beliefs are beneficial and even necessary. But just having a set of beliefs over here on the shelf isn't enough to have faith. Here's where I'm going in verse 6. Faith is not idle. Faith is action. Faith is something that causes us to move. It's not something we say we have by giving assent to a set of beliefs on a statement of faith on the website. That makes us just a club. But faith is something that causes us to move. It's action. Here's a sinner. He knows he's a sinner. He sees Christ. He knows Christ is the way. But there is no faith until he acts upon the fact that Christ has to be his Savior and then takes Christ as his Savior. You see what I'm saying? So faith isn't just that you acknowledge God and that you acknowledge a Savior. But when you exercise that faith and you have action on it, Then you're born again. Faith is trust. Faith is not an awareness of the existence of God. Faith is not understanding that His promises can be trusted. Do you hear what I'm saying? But faith brings about an action of trust based upon our awareness of God's existence, knowing that His promises can be trusted. I don't know if I'm saying a tongue twister there, but it's making sense to me. We can acknowledge God exists and we can acknowledge that His promises are true, but until we act upon them, we don't have faith. Faith is an action which is meant to keep continuing throughout our Christian life. It is an attitude. It is a way of life. Faith moves us beyond believing certain things are true, like God is true and that His promises are true. It brings us past that and it brings us into action. Look at what verse 6 says again. This whole thing is is action. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Look, that whole verse is action. Are you catching that? It's, It's all about doing something. It talks about those coming to God, which means those of us that approach God, Those who move towards God. It is an action. It isn't just a statement. But it is something that we are actively pursuing. And it talks about those who diligently seek God. Which means we are searching Him out. We are seeking Him out. In other words, it takes action on your part to seek for God. It is something that moves you. I always like what Les Zerbe said years ago here, you will never wrestle God sitting on the couch in front of your television. Amen. You'll never have your burning bush experience walking through the mall. See, it's action. It takes work. We diligently seek after Him. So I'd ask you tonight, do you have an act of faith? Faith is pleasing to God. But it's a faith that requires action. Without an active faith, you will not please God. In fact, according to verse 6, it's going to be impossible. You can't do it. Now, here's what I was looking forward to getting to tonight. And I want you to get this. An active faith causes God to act. An active faith causes God to act. We see in our text that if we have an act of faith, then God will be a rewarder. That's a promise here. Verse 6, kind of faith brings us to the place where we are receiving from God. Because God is a rewarder. We receive a reward from God in return for our active faith. And of course, this chapter gives us example after example of people of faith, how God is going to reward them for that. That's what verse 6 is setting up. It isn't just tying a loose end on verse 5, but it is also preparing us for what is about to follow in the rest of this chapter, that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And it goes on to say, by faith Noah being warned of God. And we find what Noah did as an act of faith and how God rewarded that. We see that throughout the chapter. And so it's this this act of faith that causes God to react back. There are many more examples in this chapter. In fact, the writer hints there at verse 32, time would fail me to tell of, then he lists people and even says the prophets. As we go through this chapter, we'll see how these were, were rewarded by God. And if we took the time, there's many others in the Bible that we could add to it. Those who would diligently seek after God. And listen, if we're going to be a people in a church of faith, we must be a people that are receiving from God. I may believe God's promises. I may trust that those promises are real. But until I actively respond, it's not going to do anything in my life. They're just sitting over here. Because I'm not active. Unfortunately, many times we don't get to the place of this kind of active faith where we receive from God. And we come up short because we are not active. We acknowledge that God is good or maybe I should, we acknowledge that God exists. That's a good thing to acknowledge. But what did James say? He said the devils believe and tremble. He said if you believe God, you do it well. If you believe that there's one God, that's good. But the devils believe and tremble. You know what James saying? That's not faith. Is that not what James writes about for about 4 chapters? He says that's not faith. The devils believe. So we acknowledge God's presence. That's good, but it's not good enough. So most of us go beyond that and we acknowledge not only does God exist, but we come to believe that He's the answer for everything. And we know that. And we can give a sentence and we can acknowledge that. We say, I know God's real and I know that He's the answer. But then for some reason, that's where we get stuck. And we don't ever seem to get to the third step of it all. We never seem to get to the point where we are becoming partakers with God. Now listen, we are in salvation. I'm talking about after salvation stuff here. We acknowledge Him. We see Him as the answer. But the best thing that we can do is that we take that third step and we begin to partake of His goodness by our active faith. It's the third step that validates the first two. We can say God exists and we can say that we know He's everything, but until we act upon it, one and two don't really mean anything. So we must learn to give ourselves to God in order that we might enjoy His benefits. But many don't get to that place. They believe there's a God. They believe in our statements of faith. But where's the action? Because of this, many people in many churches don't remain or never arrive to begin with at the place where God is a rewarder. Well, now that we've considered verse six, let me ask the question I asked at the beginning. What is it that we are doing by faith? It's a serious question. It's not rhetorical, it's it's my heart. What are we doing by faith? If our faith is not causing God to be a rewarder, then what are we doing? Listen, this is a family meeting right now. Everybody good? What is it we're doing? What are we doing wrong? What is it we're missing? Do we have an active faith? God said, I'm a rewarder. We acknowledge God exists, we have our statements of faith, but what are we doing as a church body, whether in here or out of here, that is truly by faith? Are we doing anything that requires faith? Are we doing anything by faith which would cause God to be a rewarder of our faith? Is our church faith Is it pleasing to God? So here we are assembled together. But What are we doing tonight that is an active faith? Is there anything God looks down upon in Liberty Baptist Tabernacle and says, there's a people I need to reward? And what are we doing? Are we just so mechanical and faithless That we're going to open in prayer, sing three hymns, have a special, hear a message, be dismissed and go home. And have this anti-climatic altar call. What is it we're doing? I hope you know my heart. I'm not rebuking. I'm just, do we even want God to show up? Now, wouldn't that be a great reward? He says, I'm a rewarder. Do we come in here already desiring for Him to be among us? Or do we just attend and say, good message, preacher. But we're no more rewarded than when we walked in the door. And we could have just stayed home and watched the game and been just as fine as we are when we leave. Do you want more of God? Now, I realize COVID-19 is still taking its toll on our church. But I think you all would agree that under, quote-unquote, normal operating conditions, we need a new facility. And even with COVID taking its toll, we still need more Sunday school space and more parking space. Well, if God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, why don't we have it? Why have we not received a new facility? Is there something lacking in our faith which is causing God not to be a rewarder in this area? I think sometimes we believe because we have acknowledged a need and recognize how only God has the resources that we conclude we've done all we can do, so we just sit back and we wait for God to be a rewarder. But if you listen to what I said, all we really did was step one and two. We just acknowledge that God has it all and we understand that He's the one that's going to have to do it. But where's really the active faith that causes God to be the rewarder? God isn't going to be active until we are active. Think about what all has been said tonight. Examine our church and ask, is there anything which could be considered active faith? Listen, I'm sure there is. But I'm sure there's areas where we need to do better. And I'm just, I'm just posing the question from verse 6. Because I don't know about you, but I want God to be a rewarder of this church. God is a rewarder, but only to those who believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Maybe we are still in this building because we're not diligently seeking him. And maybe our faith is inactive in this area. Maybe church services are just routine because we aren't diligently seeking him. And maybe our faith has become inactive in that area. What do you think about verses like this, Mark 11:24? Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. 1 John 3.22 says, And whatsoever ye ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. I really hope I'm effectively communicating what I'm trying to say tonight. I don't know. I, listen, are we becoming stagnant because our faith has become inactive. I want to enter into His benefits and see Him do great and mighty things that we know not. See Him do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. I'd like to see that. But I just feel tonight, after studying this passage, and I was going to skip this verse and move on to Noah, but I just feel like something's missing. Are we coming up short on Hebrews 11:6? Are we diligently seeking him? Well, I trust you know my heart. Let's pray.